You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Father, I thank you that uh, we do everything by faith. But your promise was that if we would open our mouth wide, that you would fill it. So I'm here to open my mouth wide and you're going to let the people hear what they need to hear. And I'm leaning on you this morning, as always. In my weakness, your strength is made perfect. I confess I need you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Andrew Warmick made a statement years ago. He said, always go back to the scene of your miracle. If you're going through something, go back to the scene of your miracle. And there are certain physical locations sometimes when I'm going through something, I'll just get in the car, go park, and remember what God did. This song that we just did, He Made a Way, is particularly dear to me. Because in the end, if you listen to it, he begins to say, when the devil said no, you said yes. And when the doctor said no, you said yes. And I remember that, um, you've, you've heard me talk about it a lot, Carmen gave birth, he was three and a half months early. They said a week earlier than that, he wouldn't have made it. And I remember going up the mountain, I said, now God, I need to come back down this mountain with this baby. I need to make sure that we come back down Asheville with this baby alive and healthy. And it was a three-month ordeal, and we heard all kind of madness. We heard he wouldn't walk normal. He was bleeding on the brain. You've all heard the story. He's normal. He's exceptional. Trust me when I say exceptional. I'm not just being a grandmother, but I'm bragging on the ability of God to turn a situation. The other time was when Carmen got pregnant with Hannah. They told her she would be retarded and deformed, abort. And we had to walk that thing for nine months with them showing us pictures, them showing us charts, talking to surgeons, and everything in the natural said, this is what it's going to be. And we had to keep our eye on the word of the Lord. And we saw God turn it, and in my opinion, she's exceptional. And I'm bragging on the glory of God. So you always go back to the scene of your miracle. A couple more I want to share with you. The enemy tried to take the boy, my two sons out together. Leon and I were going to meet Larry Wright one day for lunch and talk about some mission trips. And on the way, I remember where we were, we were on Moorhead, and we got a phone call from the hospital. And it was a nurse, and she said, we have your sons, they've been in an accident. I said, what? And she said, the car was totaled, but don't panic. You know, cause your mind, hmm. And she said, they're here and you can speak to them. And immediately, I think it was Stephen got on the phone, said, we're okay, a lady was on the cell phone, she ran the stop sign. And he said, um, we crawled out of the back. The car flipped over. It was a Jeep. They crawled out of the back. He said, but we're okay. We're a little banged up, a little cut up, but we're okay. We went and picked him up from the hospital. And I didn't fully realize what God had done until we had to go to where they had taken the car. And the car was folded like an accordion. And I almost, my knees almost buckled. I remember Leon and I were walking up to the car. And when I saw what had happened, and they literally had to crawl through glass out of the back. And I understood what God had done. Well, that was once. There was one other time um, they worked at the Jewish Community Center every summer. And they would work in a camp. And this particular night, I couldn't sleep. So um, I was smart that night. I got up and went in the den. And I thought, well, devil, you're going to keep me up. I'm going to sit up and pray in tongues. And my cell phone happened to be near me. And um, they would leave about five in the morning maybe to go play basketball before they did their camp. And this must have been, I'm guessing, about 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And the phone rang, and it was Stephen. And he was almost hysterical. He was hysterical. He said, Mom, he said, I hit a telephone pole. The pole has cracked the windshield. He said, but Matthew, I can't wake him up. Matthew was on the passenger side. Now immediately, if you've walked with the Lord long enough, you learn you do not panic. When it's that serious, you don't panic. And so I remember, I said, it'll be all right, sweetheart. He will wake up. Huh? I said, he will wake up. And um, 
as he was talking, I get up off the sofa and I go wake Leon up, I go wake Carmen up, and it was one of those things where you don't have to shake, it was something in my voice, I said, get up, and they instantly knew. I said, we're going to the hospital, it's been a wreck. So as I'm talking to Stephen, he said, Mom, he moved, he, he woke up, but he can't see. He can't see, there's blood in his eyes, he can't see. I said, he will, he will. So while I'm talking to Stephen on the phone, immediately a doctor, uh, uh, a policeman gets on the phone and he says, this is so-and-so, I play basketball with your sons at the J. Um, he says, I love your boys, I won't leave them, they're gonna be okay, meet us at the hospital. Long story short, you all know the story. When I got there, Matthew's face, when they took him out of the ambulance, it was a bloody mess. And it was all cut up. And so when we got to the back, I began to, to panic a little bit. And I said, get a plastic surgeon. This is my baby's face. Get a plastic surgeon. Get a plastic surgeon. Stephen's arm was banged up pretty bad. They put him in one room. Matthew got the worst end of it. And I remember the doctors kept sewing him up and working on him. And they looked at me and they said, out of all the hospitals in Charlotte, we're the one that had to train under plastic surgeons. We know what we're doing. And I went, okay, then I run down the hall to check on Stephen. Then I come back, and it, this went on all morning. End of story, you see them, unless you know it, you can't even tell they've been in a fire. So that song means something to me. When the devil said no, you said yes. And when the doctor said no, you said yes. So it means something to me. Now, I'll tell you why I'm talking about that in a little bit. Today I'm going to be talking about the Song of Solomon, and it's my favorite book. And... Um, I'm actually working on a book and had gotten really excited about starting on it about four or five months ago, and I'm not that great with computers, was working away going, God, you and I, we're doing this book, we're doing this book. I hit a wrong button and lost everything. Got kind of discouraged, needless to say, got very discouraged, and I was like, Lord, but this is our project, what went wrong? So Courtney and Carmen had kind of stepped in, Christina and they all the technology people, and Leon just bought me my own laptop. I'm a little slow getting in the game. And they've got one where it saves everything automatically. Then they've got a plan where I can't lose it. I emailed them all my stuff. And we're gonna start again. The Lord and I are gonna start again. But long story short, that's the book that I've been in. And so whenever I teach, I try to teach you where I've been. I've been in Romans, but mostly in the Song of Solomon, my favorite book. And it starts out, in chapter one, it says the Song of so Solomon, the song that excels all songs. I don't care how many songs will ever be created, how many love songs you know, and we all got our favorites. The word of the Lord says, this is the song that will always excel them all. And it's really God's love song to you. Give you the background really quick. Solomon is coming through a town called Shunamite, Shulamite, Shulam, sorry. Solomon is coming through a town called Shulam. And Solomon has a lot of wives and a lot of concubines. He's got a woman issue. And so whenever he comes to a town, all of the women are kind of hoping, hey, maybe I'll be included in one of them. Now, at, it is recorded that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women that it is recorded that he dealt with. 1,000. A thousand. I need you to ponder that. You know, there's a show that comes on TV called Sister Wives, and Carmen and I like to watch it because it's ridiculous. You know, it's a man that has like three or four, maybe more wives, and it's so crazy. Solomon had a thousand. So he's coming through Shulam, but it's a type and picture, and they got him in trouble, by the way. He ended up, um, he ended up, saying everything is vanity. Everything is vanity, okay? They ended up turning his head from the Lord. Anyway, he comes to Shulam, and he represents in this story, everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow pointing to Jesus Christ. That's what you gotta remember. So who is Solomon in this story? He represents Jesus. And he's coming, and there's gonna be a woman we're not even given her name because she represents the bride of Christ. She represents the church. She represents Israel. She represents anybody who confesses the name of the Lord. She represents you. And all we have to identify her is simply Shulamite. We don't get a name. So when he comes through, 
Every woman in this town has an opportunity to respond to Solomon, Jesus. But it is recorded that only one woman actually responds to him, and she is given a wedding invitation. She, he asked her to marry him. And this eight chapters walks you through their ups and their downs, their ups and their downs. And anybody walking with the Lord, sometimes I feel like I've actually had more downs than ups, okay? And yet, he shows himself faithful to her all the way through to chapter eight. Now, if, because I've been studying this book for, my God, I don't know, 20 years, the first conference I ever did, God said, do the Song of Solomon. I said, you're kidding, I don't know that book. And the Lord doesn't discuss when he gives you an instruction. He gives it to you, up to you. Okay, he doesn't change his mind. So I had to dig and fell in love with the book and I've been digging for years. And I told Matthew just the other day because I had to give him the scriptures. I said, do you know, out of all the years that I have studied this book, I still got in it and saw new things, brand new things. Because the word of God is pregnant, it will always be giving birth to a new revelation because God is just that intense and that deep and that powerful and that knowledgeable. We'll be in heaven still learning things. Can you imagine? And I'll probably be following the teachers around going, teach me something else, teach me something else. So he comes to Shulam, and that's just where we're going to start. So he comes to Shulam, and the first thing she says, she recognizes that there's something different about him. And she says, hmm, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love is better than wine. And in one translation, and I study a bunch, trust me, she says, kiss me and kiss me again. And what is that also a picture of? It's a picture of all the things that can give you natural comfort, earthly delights, things that people turn to, wine, cigarettes, whatever, alcohol, whatever is a comfort to you. She says, I perceive that your love is going to be better than that. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips, for I perceive his love is better than wine. So then she says to him, she says, and this is prophetic, she says, draw me and we will run after you. And I remember that blew me away years ago because literally what she's saying, and in the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew translation, she says, at the mere hint that you want me, I'll run. She says, all you got to do is look at me longer than you looked at the other ones. All you got to do is just blink. Let, give me some indication that you want me and I'll run after you. But literally what she says is, not only I will run, we will run. And why does she say, if you draw me, we will run? Because you don't come into it by yourself. If you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ, you're going to bring some people with you. You're going to bring your family. You're going to bring your babies. You're going to bring your mate. You're going to bring your aunts and uncles. You're going to bring your friends. You're going to bring strangers. We're studying a book right now called Hinds Feet in High Places, and it's about a gazelle that goes up a mountain, and she's deformed. And when she gets to the top of the mountain, the shepherd says, I'll make you whole when we get up there. And he thought he's true to his word, and he represents Jesus, and she's made whole. So he takes her to the edge of the mountain, and he says, and she says, what are you showing me? He says, your home. You're going to go back down there and you're going to bring your, home, your village back, your family. But there's a sequel to the book called Mountain of Spices. And she, in that Mountain of Spices, she brings her family back up the mountain to have the same experience she's had with Jesus. And at the end of it, he takes her to the edge of the mountain and she says, what are you showing me now? And he says, the world. He says, go get them. So she says to him in the Song of Solomon, if you draw me, if you beckon me to come, we will run after you because I'm going to bring some with me. What does he say? The very next verse, she's able to say, the king has brought me into his chambers. He's brought me into that holy place with him, the holy of holies. Now, what does she encounter? She encounters a lot of things. She, she gets an invitation to his tent, and not only to his tent, to his personal space. 
And when she gets in there, she says, she says, the Lord, um, she said there was a pillar of cloud that filled his room, a pillar of cloud. Now, why does she say that? Now, Carmen, I don't know if this is the first one or not. Let's see, which one did I give you for the first one? Okay, that's not the first one. Okay, when she gets into his tent, there's a pillar of a cloud. It's because, and it refers to the time that when Israel was, um, had, had been delivered by Moses from Egypt and they went out into the desert with the Lord. Desert is a really dangerous place. It's filled with snakes and scorpions and heat. You gotta have water, it was a dangerous place. But the Bible said, and it was probably even worse at night because you couldn't see where you were walking. But what he did was he became a pillar of a cloud by day, like a huge column, big enough to cover all those thousands of Hebrews. And it was a cloud by day that wherever they went, it gave them direction and it gave them shade. And they knew that he was with them. And at night, it became a pillar of fire. And it, it was intimidating to any snakes that wanted to hang around them. It gave them light to walk in. It gave them direction. And it gave them assurance that the Spirit of the Lord was with them. So when she goes into his tent, she says it was cloudy in his tent. Now some of the things you may or may not see in your King James, I've studied the Tanakh and every other translation possible. And most of the things I got from the Hebrew version. But there were clouds in his tent. So she says, the king brought me into his chamber and it was cloudy. He, she says, we rejoice and delight in you. And she says, the upright are not offended in you. What does that mean, the upright are not offended in you? Who are the upright, the righteous? We now know because of grace, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And those of us that know that we are righteous because of Christ Jesus, know we didn't earn it. Know that there's nothing I can do to qualify to stand in front of God. I don't care how, many, how much money I give to the poor. I don't care how many times I go to the mission field, how long I prayed, how long I studied the word. None of that qualifies me to stand in front of God. It is the finished work of Christ, his blood, that qualifies me. And so she says, the upright are not offended in you. Do you remember when Jesus came? Who was it? It was the Pharisees who thought they had earned their position with God that were offended at the people Jesus hung around. When somebody thinks that they qualify for blessings from God, they get offended at everybody else they think doesn't qualify. She says the upright, the ones who really know what qualifies us, nobody's offended in you. Now, now that she's been invited into her, his tent, and trust me, I'm not going to do all eight chapters. We'd be here for a while. Now that she knows that, um, that she's been invited into the tent, the first thing a woman begins to worry about is what she looks like. Because Solomon is used to pampered women. So now she starts explaining and apologizing for what she looks like. And it's a picture of us bring, coming into the presence of a holy God and bringing our sin. Okay? Because God doesn't care what color our hair is or did we get our nails done. It's a hard issue with God. So she's in his presence, but she's apologizing. It's just a picture. She says, I'm dark but lovely with virtue. She is not apologizing for the color of her skin. She goes on to explain why she says that. She says, my brothers were angry with me, so they kept me outside. They made me the keeper of the vineyard but my own vineyard I haven't kept. We don't know why her brothers were angry with her. That's just how it goes. If you're gonna follow Jesus, it's gonna be a whole lot of people mad with you, okay? She says, but for whatever reason, they were angry with me. They were angry with me. And she said, the job that they should have been doing, they didn't do, I had to do. And they kept me outside, but the things that I should have been taking care of, I didn't do. And she's very aware because Solomon has his, his wives a pampered. They spend a year before they even come to see him soaking in perfume and getting massages. And here she is, she's been out in the vineyard doing something her brother should have been doing. Her nails are dirty, broken, whatever. She probably smells. So she's apologizing.
So she asked him, she says, I need to know something, Solomon. I need to know where you cause your flock to rest at the noonday sun. Why does she say noonday sun? The noonday sun in any country is the hottest time of the day. And it represents when you are under pressure and the enemy has come at you with everything he's got. She said, I noticed that you cause your flock at the very time when it's the hardest time of the day. Your flock are resting. She says, tell me where you cause your flock to rest. Because why should I be like a woman veiled in mourning when your flock is resting? And he tells her, he says, if you don't know where it is, follow in the steps of all the patriarchs, all the people who have followed me before you. Follow in their steps and you'll know where I am. And he also says, he says, if you do not know, O oh, most beautiful woman. Now she told him she didn't feel good about herself. He says, if you do not know, in verse 8, O oh, most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your goats by the shepherd's tent. Anybody raising children know, I don't know what percentage of the time they act like goats. You want to say 50? Would be nice. Anybody raising children, goats are rebellious. He says, graze your goats by the shepherd's tent. What's he saying? Keep your children in the house of God. That's right. Keep your children in the house of God. That's what he's saying. Now, first verse I want to show you. He says to her, he says in verse 111, we will make for you chains of ornaments of gold studded with silver. Now, you're reading this like I did years ago. What in the world does that mean? You're going to make for me gold and silver. This is powerful. It refers to a time, um, I think I gave it to you, number two, when Israel was getting ready to leave Egypt. Now, what God is referring to is provision. This is time of Christmas. And I don't know if, if you're like anybody else, the devil has no new bag of tricks. And he attacks a lot of the same things. The Bible says there's no temptation that's taken you but such as is common to man. If you've been hit with something, most likely somebody else over here been hit with something. The same thing, and maybe I have too. So he tells her, he says, we're going to make you some gold and some, some ornaments made of gold and silver. It refers to a time when Egypt was getting ready to, the Hebrews were getting ready to uh, be delivered from Egypt. And this is what it says. It says, now the Israelites had acted in accordance with the word of Moses, and they had asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and articles of gold. For the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they gave them what they asked so that they plundered the Egyptians of those things. Okay? So what did God tell them to do before they left? He said, go get some jewelry and get some clothes. Now, if... Think, think for a moment. I don't know if you're like me. They're getting ready to go out into the desert. Why would they need jewelry? You would think, tell them to get some bread. Okay, get some real comfortable shoes. He tells them, go get some clothes and get their jewelry. Get their gold and get their silver. Let me tell you why. He wanted them to look at their arms and their necks and their hands and know. And know. Is there anything too hard for God? I will bring you out into a desert and make you look good. He wanted them to understand that provision would not be a problem for him. He wanted them to have a visual they could look at. Supply will not be a problem. Did you see that ruby on your finger? He wanted them to understand. So they not only received what they needed, from the Egyptians, the Bible says they stripped them. They took everything they had. I need those earrings on your ears. You didn't take that last bangle off. I need that bangle. They stripped them of everything they had. Verse 12 of chapter 1, she says, While the king sits at his table, my spikenard pours forth. She's in the, the private chamber with the king. Nobody in there but them. And all of a sudden, she begins to smell herself. 
and it represents the odor of all the wrong choices she's ever made. Even the good ones. Because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags in his presence. So even if you come in there with your good deeds, it still don't smell good. But she's coming in there with her mistakes, everything, and she begins to smell the odor. But what does the Lord do? Does he tell her, oh, you came in here like this? You got all these issues and this is how you come into my presence? No. My favorite verse ended up being the very next verse, which says, but a bundle of myrrh was my beloved to me. He filled that room with a fragrance that covered whatever she brought in there. Now why myrrh? Myrrh was uh, a spice that they used to embalm or put away somebody of noble death. So it's a prophetic sign. He's got this myrrh with him. He smells of it. But a bundle of myrrh. He was a bundle of myrrh. And it speaks of the death that Jesus Christ was going to die in the future for all of us. And it was going to be a noble death. In fact, he was the only one that could do it. So she comes in and she smells bad. But before, he doesn't even say anything. He just becomes, he just is what she needs. My spike not poured forth, but a bundle of myrrh was my beloved to me. He tells her, you're beautiful, you have dove's eyes. And the reason that he refers to her as having dove's eyes is because a dove is loyal to his mate. And he's prophetically telling her, I already know you're faithful to me. Now, the next one I believe is, um, so in 116, I love this. This is in the Tanakh. He tells her she's beautiful. And you know what she says to him? She says, the beauty is yours because you forgave me. Is that not beautiful? The beauty is yours because you forgave me. Now we get to chapter one, and I, because I know the book, I get a little irritated. You, remember, you know, you can go to a lot of churches and they sing, he's just a rose of Sharon, and I'm thinking, wrong, 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 wrong. He's not the rose. He's not the rose. Let me tell you what it actually says. She's talking to him, and she's trying to, to it takes eight chapters for her to understand that she's accepted in his presence. And for us, it may take a lifetime. It's a journey with the Lord, but this is what she says. She says, I am only a little rose of the plains of Sharon. You got that one, Carmen? I am only a little, did I give you that one? I am only a little rose of the plain of Sharon or a humble lily of the valley that grows in deep and difficult places. So God doesn't want a flower that grows on the mountaintop that's not acquainted with hardships. He wants the rose that's surrounded by thorns and has to survive anyway. Or he goes after the lily that grows in deep and difficult places. Because that's where his glory really shines. When that flower is able to grow anyway, one of my, I told you, I love to tell this story in high feet and high places. It's actually about the Song of Solomon. And they're walking, she and the shepherd, she and her angels are walking, the deformed gazelle, and she sees this flower growing out in the desert, and there's nothing around it but rocks and dirt. And she says, what's your name? And the flower says, my name is long-suffering and forgiveness. And she says, my brothers left me here to die, but I insisted on blooming for the sun. So regardless of what that flower was saying I got hit with or I've been through, I insisted on blooming for the sun. And so she says, I'm just a rose of Sharon, nothing special. I'm just a lily that grows in deep and difficult places. This is what he says to her. He says, as a rose among thorns, so is my beloved among the daughters. He says, I have looked at you, and in my opinion, everybody else is a thorn compared to you. And this is individual. He says it to each and every one of us, man, woman, child. When he looks at you, he says, everybody else is a thorn. You're the rose. 
He says, just as the rose retains this beauty, though surrounded by thorns, so my beloved people maintain their faith despite the torment of the people around them. Then she says, he brought me to his banqueting table, and everybody knows this, and his banner over me was love. She says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, don't stir, stir up love until it pleases. And I think I've shared that before, that uh, what she's actually telling them is she says, if you try to stop or interrupt what's happening between me and the Lord, you'll be like a gazelle. Uh, she said, you'll be like a gazelle out in a plain. And what she's telling her friends is a gazelle has special feet and it can climb mountains, it can leap over stuff. And she says that they're, they're the strongest when they're on a mountain because most animals can't, they got these little grooves in their feet. Most, their enemy can't follow them. But out in a field, a tiger or a lion or something, if it's coming after them, it can outrun them. She says, if you try to interrupt what God is doing, instead of being in a place where you can protect yourself and climb that mountain, you're going to be out on the field, defenseless. You know, I, I was telling Carmen uh, the other day, we moved about a year ago, and Leon always said, he said, I just want to see some deer. You know, he's from Washington, D.C. I just want to see some deer. And he'd been believing for a deer. Well, the other day I was home by myself, and the Lord just had me lean around and look out the window out back. At the exact time, three deer were coming from up, up, the, up the hill down, and they were hopping. And it was so funny because our dog, usually, he's ferocious, you know, he go for bad. He bought, usually, instead of barking, he was mesmerized because these three deer were just hopping. I guess he was saying, that's new. And they were just hopping all, all through the forest, and he was just like, okay. And he didn't bark, I thought it was so cute. But anyway, gazelle hop and leap on, high, on things that most people would stumble over or even die on. Gazelles hop and leap. Okay, my beloved speaks to me, and I think this is the next one. And now, this is prophetic, and it's always prophetic even now. You can receive this for your, wherever you are in life. And this is what Solomon says to her. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise my love, my fair one. Fair one means beautiful one. He says, come away, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth once again, the time for singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Is there another one, Carmen? Did I give you another? The fig tree has budded and ripened her figs, and the vines are in blossom and give forth their fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away to climb the rocky steps of the hillside, because he's given us hind's feet. Oh, my dove, here in the cleft of the rock, in the sheltered and secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your face. Is there another one, Carmen? Here you go. Let me hear your voice, and let your voice, for your voice is sweet, and for your face is lovely. Now, let's stop there for a moment. He says, let me hear your voice. You know what he's actually saying to her? In the Hebrew, it reveals it. He says, show me who you turn to when you're in trouble. That's what he's saying. And everybody breathing in here is going to face something. Show me who you turn to when you, hear, when you have trouble in your life. Now, this refers, as far as Israel is concerned, it refers to the time when um, the Hebrew children had first left Egypt. Moses and Aaron have led them out, and they've made it to the Red Sea. But remember, Pharaoh had a change of heart and sent his soldiers and everybody after him. They're trapped. They got the Red Sea in front of them and the enemy approaching behind. And we like to say between a rock and a hard place. They were going to lose either way. This is what the Song of Solomon, when he says, show me who you refer to when you're in trouble. This is the instance that God was referring to. And if you've ever had times in your life or if you're in one now, let's see how she responds. Verse 2.15 says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil and ruin the vineyards of our love, for our vineyards are in blossom. 
Now, a couple things going on. She says it's important, and I always thought that it was Solomon saying this to her, but it was her saying it to Solomon. She's saying, Solomon, she's making a declaration. I'm going to make sure that the little foxes in my life don't spoil what's happening between us. Why are little foxes more dangerous than big foxes? If you have a vine, a big fox will just walk on up to it and eat whatever it wants. Little fox walks up to it, can't get the grape. So he begins to gnaw and gnaw and gnaw on that vine until the whole thing comes down. So to get a few grapes, he's destroyed the whole vine. So she says to Solomon, it's actually her saying it. She says, let's destroy the little foxes that destroy the vine because our vines have tender grapes. Now, what was she actually doing? Remember, he said, let me hear your voice. Show me who you turn to when you're in trouble. Let me tell you what she actually did. 2.15 actually is saying, I fervently sang to the Lord my desire. And I sang, take us the foxes, the little foxes. And that's what she sang. Let me explain to you what's happening. He prophesied to her that her winter is over. He prophesies, I have now come into your life. Whatever it is you need, you got it. I am in your life. He says, now, I need you to show me who you turn to when you're in trouble. And so she responds by singing. And this is what she sings, let us take the little foxes. Let me show you how it works. About, we're taking um, a group to Israel, okay? And this, we've gone before, 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 but this is, I, I started a company about a year ago. So it's our, my first time actually, Leon and I doing it on our own. And we have had everything but the kitchen sink thrown at us. So I had some, uh, well, I'm gonna just go ahead and tell you, I do everything by faith, okay? Ain't no shame in my game. When I tell you I'm going on the mission field, I probably don't have a dollar. So here I am taking 14 other people to Israel, and I don't have the money. We don't have the money for us. And I thought, now how does this work? And I kept thinking, oh, God's going to do it this week. God's going to do it that week, and nothing was happening. And on top of that, the price, certain prices that I had thought were one thing were escalating, and it was getting worse by the moment. And I had a week where I just basically shut down, okay? Then I, I thought, no, you, you've been with the Lord longer than this. You can do better. So I had Matthew make me the CD. He made a way. I don't know how, but you did it. So I would get in the car, and I would put this... CD in. And not only that, I'm just going to be real with you. I haven't worked in over a year. And we had bills coming. We had HOAs. We had the house and taxes from the other house. We got the car tags. We got bills. And I haven't worked in a year. And I told everybody, I'm taking you to Israel. I said, Matthew, make me that tape. What did she do? She fervently sang. He said, show me who you, who you turn to when you're in trouble. Fervently singing means you don't just sing a, hum a few bars, sing a few words. You. So I would get in the car, because there's no place I could play the music anyway, and it's safe, because I don't have that gift. And I would turn that thing on, and I would find somewhere to go. Go to Walmart, ride to the post, go anywhere. And I would sing over and over and over. He made a way. When the devil said no, you said yes. When the doctor said no, you said yes. Don't know how, but you did it. Don't know how, you're moving mountains, you're breaking chains, giants fall, mountains are moving, mountains are moving. I did this for three days. At the end of three days, I was privy to $7,000. I went from zero to $7,000, some left over. I did not need seven. I have some. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. The Bible says she fervently sang. Let's take the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Our vines have tender grapes. Whatever you need to sing, you sing it. That was her song. It worked for her. It might not be a bad one. But for me, 
He made a way. You know, Isaiah, go to Isaiah 54, 1 through 5. <clears throat> this is what Isaiah said. He said, if you have something going in on in your life and you don't see any fruit, you need to see fruit. Everybody else got theirs. Everybody else got their babies and you need yours, whatever that baby is. Whatever it is. This is Isaiah. God spoke through Isaiah. Let me tell you how to get it. He said, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst in the song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate, somebody that's been shoved to the side. More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Why? Because he's your husband. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back and do not, do not hold back. Wow, I put it twice. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. God said you will not be put to shame. And it starts out by simply just sing. Act like you know. My favorite commercial, I feel like should have been preached in churches. There used to be a secret commercial. Say, never let them see you sweat. I love that commercial. That's what he's saying. Sing. Well, this is the report over here. Sing. Well, I don't see it. Sing. Sing. That's not normal to sing when it, you don't feel like singing. God said, do what's not normal. Do what's not normal. She said, I fervently sang to him. Did I put any more comment? For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. I don't know how I'm doing on the time. I'm trying. Okay, um, the Nathan Carmen. <clears throat> Very quickly. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flocks among the lilies. Where does he pasture? Among the lilies who grow in deep and difficult places deep and difficult places. That's the testimony to the glory of God that you can thrive in a deep and difficult place. Yes. That's a testimony to how big your God is. That's where he shines in your life. What does Psalm 23 says? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't remove us. He just sets the table in front of them. I remember one time I took a group to France, and um, <clears throat> I took four ladies that had some money, and they went to ministry. It was two mothers and, and, and their daughters. And I said, God, I, I want to make this trip an offering to you. I said, I need some things for my children. So I'm going to serve these ministers, they were ministers, and, and their daughters, as if I'm serving you for 14 days. This is my offering. Well, they didn't really understand what was going on, and I actually think they thought I was supposed to be doing it, <laughs> okay? They'd wake me up in the middle of the night, I need some ice. But I was doing it as unto the Lord. They would hand me their tissue, their trash to put in the garbage can. But I was doing it for the Lord. And then one day I broke down and started crying. I called a friend of mine here in the States. I said, they treat me like dirt. She said, but you, you made this an offering to God. She said, don't forget what you're doing. She said, don't forget what you're doing. Well, the day we left and got to the airport, they still were giving the people, this was in Paris, they were giving them a fit and the French people don't play that. We're not sitting with our daughters and we paying people and they're going on. I'm in French telling them, please forget them. They, they're Americans, they don't understand. You know, can, can you show them mercy? So they went back and forth and finally they got one mama with her daughter, the other mama with her daughter. And I thought, okay, let's just get out of this country. 
when we got ready to go through the line, the lady said to me in French, she said, we changed your ticket. And I said, look, lady, I didn't do anything. I was trying to be the peacemaker. I'm so sorry they weren't nice. I need mercy. She said, you holding the line up. We changed your ticket. I thought, great. On top of them cutting up and cutting the monkey, now they done changed my ticket. When we got on the plane, when we were on the bus headed to the plane, one of the lady ministers said, where are you sitting? I said, I don't know. I got a real little number. It's real little. I ain't never had a number that little. And one of the daughters said, Mother, they put her in first class. And I went, what? I've never been in first class. It costs thousands, people. On the big one across the water, it's thousands. Trust me, Leon and I have asked about it and went, okay, forget it. When we got on that plane, they could only go right. The lady said, you'll be going left. Can I have your coat and your bags? I said, huh? She said, I carry everything to your seat for you. I could go where they were, but they could not come where I was. When I sat down in my chair, the chair was so big, my feet didn't even touch the floor. I was like, oh my God. They rolled in a little thing in front of me and put a white tablecloth and handed me a glass of champagne. I said, oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God, white tablecloth. And I said, God, I'm talking to you. I said, what am I doing in here? He said, you served me. He said, you served me for 14 days. I'm going to make sure you are served on the way home. And that was just the beginning. White tablecloth. He prepares before us a table in the presence of our enemies. I'm trying to get through this. I'm trying to get through this. Okay, number four, maybe I won't finish. What time is it? How am I doing? Okay. Okay, chapter four. She has a troubled dream. And in this dream, she's trying to find him, but she can't find him. Okay? And the scripture that I wanted to give you, I think, is Romans 8, because I've also been in Romans. I've also been in Romans she eventually finds him, but in a dream she had trouble finding him. You ever had those places in your life where you thought, now where is God? I don't see any indication he is anywhere around or close by. But God spoke this scripture to me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Um, What's the next one called? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You know, years ago we were taught, if you ain't in faith, God ain't gonna answer you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie. Peter, when he was drowning, how much faith do you think he he had when he yelled out, help? He didn't yell out, I got this, Jesus. I'm good. He was drowning. And he yelled out, help. Jesus, save me. And we don't live by our faith. We live by the faith of the Son of God anyway. It's his faith in us. We live by his faith. I think Matthew, Pastor Matthew did a teaching the other day. He said these things can only come out by faith. They were having trouble casting out demons. It's not faith. It's not your faith. It's your faith in the one that paid the price. As long as you believe in him, everything else is covered. So I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, even if I'm in a place where I'm I'm not okay, even if that's the situation, nothing will separate me from his love. Um, Let's see. Now, the one thing that I want to tell you about in chapter 4, and tell me about the time because I really got deep in this. I'm going to try to wrap it up. 
I'm going to cut out some, maybe if I can. Chapter 4. We are a grace church. This is Solomon coming through Shulam, and he sees a girl that responds to him, and he invites her to his tent. Now, she doesn't get credit for responding to him because who came to her first? She was the one lost. Solomon came to Shulam. So all glory goes to God. He tells her over and over, chapter 4, how beautiful she is. And he uses metaphors, you know, about the sheep grazing and the hair and all that stuff. And he says, you're all beautiful, my beloved. There's no spot in you. There's nothing wrong with you. And I remember asking the Lord years ago, I said, how can you look at me, knowing me, and tell me that there's nothing wrong? How can he look at this Shulamite and tell her there's nothing wrong? And in the Tanakh, he showed me one day what it actually says in verse 6, what he actually was saying in the Hebrew. I will go to Mount Moriah and the hill of frankincense, where you will be completely fair, my beloved, and there will be no blemish in you. Now, why, why is Mount Moriah important? It's a picture, number one, of where Abraham was going to offer up Isaac. And God said, no. No, you ain't offering up your son. It's just a picture. I'll be offering up mine. But what else is on Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah is a series of hills. Do you know what else is on Mount Moriah? Golgotha. He said, what he was actually saying is, I'm going to Golgotha. I'm going to Mount Moriah. And when I pay that price for you, I can declare on Mount Moriah that you're perfect. Ain't nothing wrong with you. I paid for it. I paid for it. Now, try to wrap it up. I think I'm okay now. Um, what was the last one, Carmen? Okay. I got two more and I'm done. Uh, go to verse 8. I'm skipping from chapter 4 and I'm going to verse 8 for a second time. Otherwise, you don't know me in this book. I could be here forever and ever and ever. She has this love affair with Solomon. Her friends are watching. Eventually, they come into the picture and they begin to praise him. Remember? It's prophetic. We bring people with us. By the time you get to chapter 8, she's still not sure. She says, I, I really wish that Solomon could love me like Joseph loved his brothers. How did Joseph love his brothers? If you know anything in the Bible, his brothers put him in a pit and really left it, didn't care if he died, but eventually decided they would make some money and sold him to the Egyptians and separated him and told his daddy they were, he was dead. Separate him from his father, his brother, and didn't care what happened to him, sold him as a slave. But you know how God redeemed and restored for Joseph. And when they ran out of food years down the road and they had to go to Egypt for food, Joseph forgave them and told them, go home and bring the whole family back. Instead of putting them in jail or even putting them in the death, that was not his response. He forgave. And she said, I wish Solomon could love me as much as Joseph loved his brothers. But what she didn't understand was Solomon, who represents Jesus, was laying his life down for her. Joseph never laid his life down for his brothers. He forgave them, but he couldn't die for them. And even if he did, it wouldn't have meant much. So she has somebody in her life who loves her and is far more capable than Joseph could ever be, and she just had to learn it. But anyway, her brothers are also the ones who rejected her standing over to the side, and they say, who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on the arm of her beloved? She's been in a hard place in her life, and they see her coming up out of that place, leaning on Solomon's arm. That's what's going to happen to you every time you go through something. Everybody watching going to see you come up out of the wilderness, leaning on the arm of your beloved. Anyway, <clears throat> to fast forward, they know that she's been, her brothers know that she's been asked to get married, and they say, we have a little sister, she has no breast. What they're saying is she ain't pretty enough. And they say, if she has been virtuous, we'll give her gifts.
But if she hasn't been virtuous, we're going to put her away. They, it's a hard issue with God. And they don't know her heart. And she ends up telling them, she says, I've been virtuous. And I have been as one who found favor in the eyes of the king. And I remember Miss Angie, years ago, we used to do Bible study. And years ago, that was my favorite verse. I am one who found favor in the king's eyes. And they put it on a little plaque and gave it to me. But this is the part that I want to show you. Uh, and this is where, this verse and one more and I'm finished. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Haman, which he leases out to tenants. Each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting its fruit. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Haman. Let me tell you what his vineyard is named. It has two names, Lord of the Multitude and Possessor of Abundance. That's the name of the vineyard of our Lord. Lord of the Multitude and Possessor of Abundance. There is no lack in his vineyard. It is running over. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Haman. He leases it out to tenant farmers, and each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting his fruit. Now, he's leasing it out to people that are not in covenant with him. People that are not in covenant, you know, Matthew said one day, he said, blessed means marked by the blood. I thought, oh my goodness, I never forgot that. These people are not, the tenants are not marked by the blood. It's a money transaction. Anything they get is because they got to do good to maybe get good. It's a transaction. There's no covenant here. He leases it out. They don't own anything. He leases it out to them, and they come in and harvest that fruit, and he pays them. It's a business relationship. But the bride, which is us, is different. But my vineyard is mine to give. He gave her her vineyard. He gave her her vineyard. She says, my vineyard is mine to give, and Solomon need not pay a thousand pieces of silver. Everything I got is his, and everything he has is mine. We don't do money transactions. You know, I got a friend who told me, my husband pays the rent. I thought, I wouldn't tell anybody that. I'm going to tell you why. That's what he's supposed to do. <laughs> why, why be bragging because he paid the rent? My husband gave me some money. Uh-uh. Everything he got is mine. Gave you some money. I'd be upset he didn't give me, give me the whole check. What are we talking about? Gave me some money. Give me the check. She says, Solomon need not pay. We don't do money. Everything he got is mine, everything I got is his. She says, but I will give 200 pieces to those who care for his vines. Now what's happening is, she's saying, everybody that comes into this vineyard is by grace now. We don't earn anything. She says, when you come in, you're not working. You're just taking care of things. We're ministering to each other. We're working in the kingdom of God. And she says, I was shown grace by Solomon. Now I get an opportunity to show everybody who wants to come into his vineyard and, work and, and take care of the vines, I'm going to give them something. Give is a gift. Here's a person that might not do anything but clean the bathrooms at the church. Here's your 200. It's a blessing. Here's somebody that wants to sing on stage or take care of the babies. Here's 200. It's a gift. It's not measured by how much or how little you do. In the kingdom of God, the bride has been given a vineyard. And anybody who wants to come in and take care of the vines, the, the little ones, the older ones, or whatever, I will see that you're blessed. That's what the Lord is saying. Last verse. Last verse. Now, <clears throat> When you study this particular verse, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman, Lord of a possessor of abundance and Lord of the multitude. When you study in the Hebrew, it gives you references. 
Because what she's doing now in her vineyard is she's making sure that everybody who comes in to, to minister to the body of Christ and to minister to each other and to work in the vineyard of God, they're compensated. Now God wants you to know how much he's going to compensate you. Okay? And it, it's all a picture of redemption. And this is where we're going to stop. Isaiah 60, 17. He says, I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, your stones for iron, and I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. In a nutshell, this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He says, I'm going to redeem everything in your life. Every hardship that you've gone through, everything that's been stolen from you, in affection, in money, whatever has been robbed from you with your children, he says, I'm going to give it back. Many times over, one, one translation said, I'm going to give it back to you many times over. And here's where it got me. I about jumped out of my bed. He said, it will be as if I'm trading your copper for gold. You know, when Carmen and I were up in Asheville, when Aaron was in the hospital, we would go to the mall. We, there were only certain times we could see Aaron, and so we would go to the mall and, and try to spend our time shopping, looking around. We were making ourselves bastard stuff. God had provided financially. And I mean, we'd just buy anything. And I remember, I like jewelry. So I had gone to the store, and they had all these beautiful copper pieces, and they looked real good and shiny in the place, and I thought, wow. So I bought me a pair of earrings. Those things last about a good hot minute. I give them two days, and then they turned. And I bought copper polish and couldn't get them shiny. I did everything in my power, and I thought, well, lesson learned. Lesson learned. Now, gold earrings, different story. You can take a shower. You can take a bath. You can do by anything to them, and they don't turn. So it's speaking of one who has very little value and one who has all the value you need. He said, I am going to redeem the things in your life to the point many times over where your cop, it will seem as if I replaced your copper with gold. And it's talking about redemption. And he wants us to remember that in his vineyard, Baal Haman, he is the Lord of the multitude and a possessor of abundance. Wrap it up. Solomon goes to Shulam and meets a woman. They have a love affair. He reassures her that she's beautiful in his sight. And she's beautiful because he's been to Mount Moriah where he has paid for her to be. She has nothing to worry about. She has a dream where she can't find him. She wonders where he is. And she eventually does find him. And he reminds us in Romans 8.38, Neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow can separate us from his love. He won't let that stop him from loving us and taking care of us. She ends up getting the wedding invitation and in the end, even the people around her still don't know her heart and that's okay because he does. And she tells her brothers, it's all right because I was as one who found favor in the king's eyes and I was allowed to have peace. It's okay if you don't get it. He gets it. And she tells him, she says, you know what? I was working in my brother's vineyard. I couldn't even take care of myself, but Solomon has a vineyard called Baal Haman, possessor of abundance and lord of the multitude. And he gave me mine. He gave me my vineyard. And he says, she says, and as the bride of Christ, I can turn to the people and say, whoever wants to come in, and take care of the vines and, and help out and cultivate this vineyard, I will give 200 pieces of silver. It's a gift. Because in a covenant, everything that is his is mine and everything that mine is mine is his. And it's a story of redemption. And it's a story of how his myrrh covers every mistake we've ever made. His life covers every mistake we've ever made. And he wants us to stay at the scripture that says, I've been to Mount Moriah where you are all fair. And he wants us to stay at a place where we know at all times in his sight, we're beautiful. And we have favor. 
and don't worry about Christmas coming, and don't worry about your provision. He is the Lord of the multitude. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope I didn't go too long. I ask you to bless your people abundantly this Christmas and reveal to them what's hard to them <laughs> doesn't even move you, doesn't even phase you in the twinkling of an eye. You reveal yourself to us as the Lord of the abundance. And I thank you that you reveal yourself to them this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.